Being a carrier is tough, especially in a down market such as this one as of April 2023. But frequently, I hear the value of relationships and creating maintaining them can be the difference between profitability and financial oblivion. But what happens when the market turns and relationships get strained? Also, can freight tech products create a competitive advantage in a commoditized industry? Well, folks, we're going to find out in this episode of Loaded and Rolling. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Wasson. Carriers often work with shippers and brokers to haul goods and create revenue. But for a majority of small carriers and owner-operators, they frequently work with freight brokers to secure loads back to their primary lanes. But a major challenge is when the market changes is navigating the realities of both shippers and brokers asking you to run those same lanes for less, while at the same time, costs such as fuel, wages, and maintenance are rising. Well, the good news is we may be in luck because we should have the folks at Circle Logistics joining us shortly to talk about managing uh, these relationships and freight tech products. But until they show up, we're waiting for them to log in. This is, of course, a live show. Uh, we're going to go into Thomas Wasson's Pro Guide to Maintaining Relationships with Your Broker. Some of this may be satirical, but is also based in truth, coming from my over five years of suffering at a large asset carrier and two years almost of suffering between a brokerage and a smaller carrier. So diving into it first, when we talk about relationships, it does feel like a buzzword because when you're at a large asset carrier, relationships with both uh, brokers and other folks. Oh, before we bring it in, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Skybits. Uh, they are wonderful, and I use them to find trailers. So check out the folks at Skybits when you can. It saved me in blood pressure because their actual waiting mechanisms on the trailers allowed you to find out if they were empty. Customers would frequently lie and tell you that they're loaded, but they would try to use them as storage if they had too much inventory. So having uh, items like Skybits helped me out because I could effectively send in drivers and find the actual trailers to make sure that they were there. All right, diving back to relationships, we're going to go into three major phases. First one is, what are relationships that a large national carrier look like? Secondly, how do relationships matter for a small carrier slash owner operators? And thirdly, going on the flip side, as a freight broker, what do relationships mean for you? There's three different ways of looking at it, but three of them can feel extremely different. So for my experiences, we'll dive into the first one, large carrier relationships. First off, multi-billion dollar companies, thousands of trucks on the road. When we're talking about relationships, it often feels extremely formalized. And so when we're thinking of formal, you're dealing with, you know, large Fortune 100 shippers, hundreds of loads per week, uh, 2,500 trucks choose through about 7,000 loads per week, just to give you an example. And a lot of it was more of, okay, well, I'm sending you this salesperson, the outside sales rep has a, you know, a relationship with the company, but at the same time, a lot of the relationship comes in the day-to-day -day, uh, when you're trying to figure out service failures. You know, customers frequently will have carrier scorecards, and so when you're running high-volume lanes, uh, you're in a situation where you're dealing more with, is it my fault? 
can I scrub this scorecard? And can I also make sure that I look better than the other carriers? Because you're ranked in a scorecard. So like, let's look at Walmart, for example. They are a Home Depot. They have a carrier scorecard of like, you know, US Express, a Schneider, a Werner. And then your job as working in operations was to make sure that you were either in the middle of the pack or above it. Uh, you know, trying to service your customers as a large carrier is like outrunning a grizzly bear. You just have to be faster than the other less uh, reputable incumbent carriers. Also, fun thing, we have uh, Nick joining us now, of course, so we will save the rest of my tangent for another day, or we'll ask Nick about it. Let's find out. Uh, Nick Schott, he is joining us, of course, uh, business development manager at Circle Logistics. Nick, welcome to the show, sir. Was talking about relationships before we pulled you on the show. Uh, I was giving an experience as a large carrier uh, how to make sure you don't get yelled at by your you know, contracted customers. But I'm kind of curious in getting your thoughts as well. Let's start with large carriers. Um, as a broker working with a national sized carrier, and you're talking about developing relationships, what does that often feel like? Uh, I want to get your thoughts first, and I can give you some of my fun experiences on how I made friends with brokers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, definitely when it comes up to the large carriers, it, it, you have to have a crucial relationship built in with them. Um, a lot of times it's going to come from, you know, previous uh, accounts that you've worked on them with, or if you're just simply going at it for a, a brand new lane on a brand new customer with a brand new relationship in there, there's got to be development from the, the inside. Um, you got to be able to work it beforehand, not just throw it over to an RFQ with them. Um, when doing so, if you just throw it to them, you're not necessarily always going to get the best prices. You're not going to find um, that trust level that you want with that carrier. And truthfully speaking, there's a lot of times that, you know, they may already be working with them and now you're doing a disservice to the customer as well. So um, you definitely have to do a lot of digging and then detail information from that customer or excuse me, from that carrier there before on just throwing something over the wall and seeing if it, and it actually would work. Well, I feel like you would have to do your due diligence because maybe that carrier, and I've seen this before, where uh, you'll have an RFP with a broker and you'll have the RFP with the actual customer. And so sometimes what will happen is you get a little bleed over effect to where the asset base, the national carrier will prioritize first. It may be the same lane, let's say Tunkhannock to like Shippensburg. You know, we'll make a deal with Circle, we'll make a deal with Procter & Gamble, and then maybe you'll have a situation where as a broker, you don't know if they're actually going to prioritize the primary or where you fit within the scheme in terms of if they're going to service your freight because they're just so large. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously, I think each and every carrier is always going to prioritize things. Um, you know, we may not say that completely out in the public, but, you know, there are certain service levels that a carrier is going to look at and say, you know, this is number one, number two, number three. Um, and, and, you know, obviously go down it. Now, obviously, as the broker and when we're working with the customer, we do have a little bit more of that flexibility that if there is a churn back, we've got a quicker time to be able to turn it around um, versus, you know, typically with the, just a normal asset company, if their driver's not available for that load, they may just churn it back. And now you're going on to the spot or the expert side, which is obviously what the customer doesn't want to do specifically for the contracted side of things. Um, but in addition, yeah, I mean, there, there's been times that, you know, we've had to go head to head with, you know, some of the, the national carriers there. And, you know, the unique thing that we've tried to do with anything that we've done, um, with building carrier relations and then transferring that to the customer is utilizing our relationship. But then in addition, working with a lot of the smaller carriers, actually, 
Um, for them, you know, this business may be do or die in that sense. You know, it may be keeping their customer or their their company afloat and being able to, you know, service that lane for the year. So, uh, you know, it does give us a good mix overall to make that happen. I feel like relationships with a small carrier matter more because uh, when I came from a startup, we started with like five trucks. Now they're up to like 100 uh, prior to coming here. You know, you know very well if they can run it or not. And you want to make sure that when you're booking the load, you can service it because it's such a smaller, manageable thing. But at a large carrier, when I'd manage a market, I'd have a market the size of that fleet. Maybe there's 150 trucks coming in. National carriers look at it relative. It's almost like a weather report. Is there a 70% chance I can pick it up? Because you can't really, it's too complicated. So when you're looking at relationships with smaller carriers, what are some of the signs that a carrier is going to be a good relationship? And what are some of the red flags that you frequently see? Yeah, um, yeah I think it kind of goes back to a few things. I'll answer your question here, but you know, if you're in finance or if you're in other sides of business, you always want to diversify your portfolio. It's a lot easier to diversify your portfolio in transportation if you've got 100 carriers that have 5 to 10 to 15 trucks versus maybe one or two carriers that have 150 trucks total. So, um, you know, one thing that obviously that goes into that when looking at, you know, those smaller carriers, obviously the first and foremost thing that you're always going to look at is, is the length of time that they've been in business. Um, you know, if they are a startup company and they have three months of active authority, it's a red flag, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I Hey, I've, I love the American dream. I want everybody to have their own business and be able to start and grow and develop. Um, but you're going to take some lumps as a, a brand new carrier or a very young carrier. In that sense, you're going to have to build some trust. Unfortunately, a lot of times as a, a broker working with those small carriers, you're, you're testing them out on a very minimal lane that you maybe have one to five shipments a month. Um, you know, you, you've got to test them in those markets before you can actually award them more. <laughs> Excuse me. Obviously, we always want to look at carrier scores. Um, you know, we want to see, you know, if they have been running for six months, nine months, a year, you know, have they done their inspections? Have they gone through the regular DLT processes that they're going to go through? That's obviously going to give us, um, we at Circle have our own internal grading system. Um, so, you know, whether you've been a brand new carrier um, or if you've been in our, our network for the 12 years or almost 12 years that we've been in business now, um, you know, we, we have obviously the relationship that we've had with those carriers that gets input to our TMS system that allows us to see, you know, what customers have you ran before? What is your uh, scorecard internally with us as far as on-time pickup, on-time delivery, breakdowns, anything like that? And then just interpersonal skills with that dispatcher. You know, uh, we get to rate them independently to say, you know, this guy was great. You know, he was able to pick up on time, deliver on time, great communication throughout it. Or, yeah, this guy broke down, but we obviously were in communication with the driver and the dispatcher and went through with that. On the flip side, there are carriers out there that don't give that information and they get the negative scores there as well. So, you know, that's something that we're internally going to look at as well, as well as outside grading measures. There's a great, um, you know, organizations out there that are helping us with, you know, being able to score our carriers on an outside perspective as well. Um, so there's, you know, definitely different multitudes of technology that we're able to use as well as internal technology that we have to be able to get those good scores for a carrier or unfortunately the bad scores for the carrier and know not to put our customer at the all liable par. 
I feel like so much technology, uh, when I was a broker between 18 and 19, you know, oftentimes your version of a scorecard would be, are you D and U or you do not use? Hey, did you mess up enough that I'm taking you out of the system? Uh, I like this approach with scorecards because they were starting to design them. Uh, I came from Arrive Logistics, so they're starting to design their own homebrew and stuff. So I saw some of the technology, but uh, does that become, and this is a fascinating parallel to my experience as a large asset, managing relationships as a carrier now with a broker also takes precedence as like my scorecard management. So I'm having conversations with you saying, what's my scorecard? What am I doing well? What am I not doing well? Can I scrub this? And that's what's fascinating to me is I didn't ever hear that until I was in a manager meeting at a national carrier where we were dealing with customers, but now smaller carriers have to start paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I come from more of an expedite world. And so it, it's a little bit more difficult because the redundancy of the lane may not be there. And so, you know, we can't necessarily have true scorecards in that fashion to the carrier because I may only be using that carrier once a month. And, you know, if you're 15 minutes to a, a load, um, you know, and your scorecard be negative and effective because it's one load versus, you know, maybe something that has multiple. Um, but again, going back to it, the small carriers, you know, if they're, they're bringing in, you know, five trucks or six trucks into your network and they're going on a, a dedicated lane, it, it's their livelihood for the company. And so they are going to do absolutely everything possible to make sure that they continue to service you as the broker, which is their direct customer. And then obviously the indirect customer, which would be, you know, whatever customer that would be watching. So. You know, it, it, I think it's more almost a pride thing and, you know, making sure that they continue to service it because if they lose that lane, it may take months, especially in the market that we're in now, for them to regain another dedicated fleet. Now they're back out onto the spot world and they're, the spot world is obviously limited right now. They may not be loading for two or three days and now their truck's sitting idle and it's costing them money. So um, absolutely, I think the scorecard can certainly bring in good measures to be able to keep up par of what, you know, scorecards or KPIs or, or ratings that you're going to want for you to look good towards your customer. Um, but also, you know, have that, that pride ship of being able to continue to move forward for yourself. And thinking of expedited, I used to run a uh, team, high value product loads and stuff. I always wondered, like, I, I felt like as a broker, it would be a lot more stressful. It's very stressful on the asset side, but imagine like a FedEx freight lane, HVP Ontario to like Hagerstown. Uh, team transit required. And uh, the fascinating thing that we did on our end was we purposefully adjusted the windows so the driver would think that they have to show up. They'd show up an hour early because it was so hard to service it. Are there any pragmatic steps talking about communication with drivers, especially with like uh, expedited, that uh, you would, ha would help out just to make sure you can service the thing, you know, being time sensitive? Yeah. Um, thankfully, uh, you know, the customers that we work with, they understand transit times. They understand the DOT regulations that come into there. Um, there are certainly measures that we get to put in place um, to, to you know, go through and make sure that we are delivering as promised there. But issues are going to happen, right? Um, I have yet to see, you know, a, a full month of absolutely perfect loads to a, a customer. And, you know, whether we have to communicate that from the carriers or having the carriers communicate that to us uh, and then being able to relay that to the customer, those types of issues are going to happen. Um, so, you know, obviously we, we've got a, a wonderful track and trace team that's here at Circle Logistics that 24 seven, 365, they're check calling, you know, on a 30 to one hour load 
type of update, especially when we know it is a very critical load. Um, we may be pushing that out to two hours at the maximum if we know it's just a, a recovery and it's not necessarily as critical today. Um, but, you know, constant communication is what's going to keep those types of, uh, of relationships going through um, with your customer because obviously they're on their end trying to plan with the line uh, to make sure that it stays up and running the entire time. Uh, the other thing with Circle is, is we're going to do no-fail service. You know, if that means we're having to recover a shipment and transloading or if we're having to repower a trailer or if we're having to charter our own dime just to make sure that things are going to take place, we're absolutely going to do that because we want to make sure that we're servicing our end customers and, and the right fashion. And looking at tracking, I'll, track and trace, I feel like freight tech, a lot of the freight tech is get, you know centered towards helping carriers provide timely updates. Um, you know, is that something where as you build relationships with carriers, does it eventually get to the point where they're willing to, uh, if they have EDI, share like status and tracking update? This is the craziest thing I try to talk to people because enterprise carriers, a lot of this is automated. So if, we're, if I ran a load with like a FedEx or a UPS and it's HVP, I'm doing like EDI updates every like 30 or something minutes and it's popping back over to their TMS. But as a broker, is that one of the big challenges is, is just trying to figure out where the heck they are and get them to download something so you can track them? Uh, in the early stages, yes. Uh, but we adopted the feature that it was going to have to be mandatory if you were going to run with us. Now, obviously, our information that's imported into our TMS does get imported into our customers' TMS so that way that they do have those 15 or 30-minute tracking updates overall. Um, but, you know, it's very much in our SOPs that whether it's a tracking link or macro point, four kites, uh, SAMHSA, or anything like that, you do not receive the rate con from us until those trackings um, have, have sufficient information that goes through. In addition to that, um, you know, we also have, you know, the ability to have the communication with the drivers, make sure that, you know, the dispatcher is aligned, make sure that, you know, they are in the right place at the right time, have the right hours team that we're talking to both of those individuals you know we make sure that we're just not reliant on technology and making sure that we get a pain we're having voice conversations with those individuals to make sure that we do service the customer correctly and i'm kind of curious i wanted to circle back to how do relationships change in the market uh, i remember like uh, i always feel like this was something i told somebody else i think maybe it was like uh, a different interview, but it feels to me like the hardest thing to do is manage a relationship in a down market because you're having to ask for them to do the same, but with less. In an up market, I can just charge the customer more as a broker, and then I can get away with poor buying. But in a down market, like what are some of the tips and stuff to help, you know, communicate to these drivers? And then what do you normally experience with drivers when you're trying to have those tough conversations? Because they may not know that there's five other options that are equally cheaper, and you're trying to help maintain that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it talks with just talking with them, um, you know, working with carriers that have been around the block for, you know, at the time, right? I think uh, the last time that we kind of saw the same type of market was back in 2019. Um, and there are carriers that we're still using today that, you know, they understand this is the ebbs and the flows of the business. And sometimes it's going to be hot and sometimes it's going to be slow. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, that carrier does want to keep their truck moving, you know, even if it's at, you know, minimal, you know, profit, uh, versus, you know, maximum profit that it may have been two years ago. So, um, you know, it, it is, it, it's continued conversation with them. It's, you know, sometimes it's us as the broker making a little bit less, uh, and not going with the absolute cheapest option at the time. 
um, to utilize some of the carriers that we know is not going to fail us either. Uh, especially in a, a market like this, the customer, if you fail to them, um, you know, there's a lot of other carriers that are knocking on the door saying, let us in, let us in. And, you know, if we just simply go look at it as a margin or a total revenue that's coming in with us, it, it doesn't do well for us in the long-term relationship that we want. Um, and vice versa, we're talking with our customers on a, a daily basis as well. You know, we're speaking to them and saying, hey, look, you know, yes, we understand that the market has flipped, but we also understand that service does come at a cost too. Um, and having those prior relationships and not just simply going out for the ultimate dollar does allow us to be able to maybe get awarded something that's on a little bit higher rate, uh, but it's a more critical lane or it's a lane that we've continued to service and we've reduced our rates for them. Um, but maybe work it at a little bit more than, you know, the next carrier that hasn't proven themselves overall. So uh, there are a lot of different conversations that have to have to be had. You know, it has to happen with the customer. It has to happen with the carriers. It has to happen with your employees to be able to say, this is the marketplace that we're in overall. Let's push it forward and, you know, work together to make sure that we're in unison. The shipment gets done the way that it's supposed to be. And things will pan out overall and equal out. Well, I think this is the hardest part of the job. Like one thing I didn't understand as an asset-based carrier before becoming a broker was I always just thought, well, these brokers, oh, they just pulled the load off of me by 11. I can't believe them. I was going to get a truck for it. This is, you know, horrible. Or like um, you'd hear from smaller carriers, a lot of misinformation in terms of, oh, they're gouging me. It's a conspiracy. You know, um, I, I think something that a lot of people don't hear is that on the other end, if you don't go lower, another brokerage or an asset carrier is going to take it from you. So like, you know, is that part of the communication is humanizing and saying, look, we're a team here. But at the same time, I'm trying to be honest with you and say, look, if I don't get this rate, I don't have the lane for you. And then you're just, you know, we're a whole new can of worms. Absolutely. Um, we can make $100 or we can make $0, right? Um, and you have to take that adage to the carrier. And if it's not right for them, sorry. It, it, it's not right for them. We understand they have a standard. They want to make a, a per mile rate, and that's perfectly fine. Unfortunately, um, you know, we start to get those emails, and we see them more and more. Is the carrier coming back after forty-five minutes? You know, an hour, hour and a half, and they're like, "You still have that look." We see what the market actually does, um, and that's you know a good way for us to gain trust with the carriers. We're we're not just out there to find the bottom dollar. We're out there to say. This is what the marketplace is paying. Um, you know, it, it may not be to your liking, but it, at the same time, it is what it is. And we have to roll with the punches that are going on with us. And so, you know, having that good communication to flow through with them, unfortunately, the first couple of times, it doesn't always resonate with the, uh, the carrier, the dispatcher, or maybe the owner operator. Um, but, you know, again, as you have continuation of these expedites or continuation of these dedicated lines, do we want to make a little bit of money right now and keep it rolling? Or do you want to wait and play the game and see if you can get something that pays more? And unfortunately, the latter doesn't always pay out there as well. Yeah. And uh, final thoughts here as well as we close things up. Bulk capacity. A lot of people do van. We heard refrigerated. Uh, tell us really quick, uh, is it an opportunity to make more or is it something that you kind of need a little bit of experience before you can dive into it? You definitely need to have the experience with it. Um, we started our, our bulk division about a year and a half, two years ago now, um, during the startup of, of COVID and we were moving ethanol in, there was quite the learning curve that came along with it. Um, 
you know, that the adage of the dry van world was, is if it fits, it ships. And there is a lot more that goes into it when talking about the bulk side of things. You need to know the SDS, SDS sheets. You need to know the type of equipment that's specifically needed to get loaded. Um, you need to know there's a multitude of different types of trailers that are going there, and that's just on the liquid side. Then you add in the dry side, and you add in the food side. Um, there is quite a bit that goes into it. Um, but that market has seen a downturn as well. Um, you know, it is as dry vans are very, very hard to lease or purchase, you know, a few years ago, and those have started to become more readily available. Tankers have experienced that same type of mentality as well. If, if you don't own your own taker, you may be, you know, 18 to 24 months out before you can actually even get that tanker. Uh, and so, you know, there, there is those types of restraints on there. Um, it's figuring out how to price that competitively. Uh, we've done a really, really good job of pairing uh, a lot of our lanes together with other customers and being able to work through the compliance and making sure that there is a metric of those types of products, either being able to wash out correctly uh, or, or moving to, you know, being able to top load with them. And so we've been able to bring some cost savings to a lot of our customers for them to be able to do, you know, backhauls where traditionally um, bulk was always a round trip type of rate. And so, yeah. you know, there, there is a lot that goes into that area of bulk. Um, it has been a growing sector for circle here within the last year and a half. And I've been happy to be a part of that, but it is not something for you to just get in and put a price in there because, um, that there is quite a bit of information that needs to be had before you even know how to price it effectively. Perfect. Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. Folks want to learn more about circle logistics. What's the best way to contact? Um, you know, you guys have my information and feel free to share it. Our, our website is full of, um, you know, whether it be an owner operator, broker services, the different types of modes that we have, um, certainly have there. We have a great marketing team that's continuing to put our name out in front. Um, we're very active on social media. So multitude of different ways. We're always here to help. We're continuing to grow. We want to grow alongside with the customers and the carriers here. Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on the show, sir. Always a pleasure getting to talk to you again. We will keep an eye out uh, as you guys continue to develop and uh, grow in the business. Thank you much. Have a good day. That's going to be a wrap for this show, but don't fret. You can catch us every Tuesday uh, live at 1 p.m. Eastern for the Loaded and Rolling show. We also have the newsletter, Loaded and Rolling. The newsletter comes out every Thursday at 2 p.m. You can check that out at freightwaves.com slash loaded and rolling. And if you want to watch this episode, it will be on Apple and Spotify or tv.freightwaves.com. That's going to be a wrap for today, though, folks. It's been an absolute pleasure. Join us next week. We'll do it live.